Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Daniel Joshua Rubin. Daniel is a multimedia writer and founder of Story 27 in Evanston, Illinois, a writing studio that provides consulting and education to storytellers in all media. He has written for television, including NBC and WB, new media, including The Motley Fool, The National Lampoon, and theater, the plays produced at Steppenwolf in Chicago, Off-Broadway in NYC, and on the West End of London. He has taught dramatic writing at Loyola University in Chicago and at the University of California, San Diego. He holds an MFA in playwriting from the Yale School of Drama, where he graduated with honors and a BS in drama studies from the State University of New York at Purchase. 27 Essential Principles of Story, Master the Secrets of Great Storytelling from Shakespeare to South Park is his book, and it's in stores now. Daniel, we're very excited to have you on the show today. How's it going? It's going great, and I'm really excited to be here and talk some shop. The first question, because we are recording remote, where are you in the world right now? Paint a picture where you are. Sure. I'm in my little writing studio in Evanston, Illinois. Um, it's the home probably best known for Northwestern University. It's a little town just north of Chicago. We're, we're kind of known as the People's Republic of Evanston. We uh, recently were in the news a lot for uh, passing reparations. And uh, like I think we're the first first town in America to do that. And uh, I think what they're doing is getting a little bit of the... Of, when we buy weed now in Evanston, some of that goes to... Uh, African-American families who had housing discrimination. So anyway, that's where I am in a beautiful town right next to Lake Michigan. Before we get into process, and obviously I want to talk about the book, I would love to talk about you and your career trajectory. So can you walk us through, as I mentioned in your bio, you've done a lot. So I would love to hear, can you walk us through your career? Did you always want to be a writer? And how did you get to this point? Sure, absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I, I, Wrote from a really, really early age. I remember writing a little book. I, I, I loved Aesop's Fables as a kid. I thought those were the greatest thing in the world because I, I was a real little kid once. And I remember a fable applying to something that happened at school with a bully. There was a fable about like a wolf trying to eat a sheep. And the wolf keeps looking for reasons. And the sheep's like, none of the things the wolf says make any sense. And the moral was basically... That a bully's going to just do what he's going to do no matter what. And I just remember thinking, wow, that, that writing really, really had a legit impact on my life. So I wrote my own like, little book of fables. I had like, gambling frogs and all kinds of stuff like that. So yeah, I always did want to write. And it just seemed to be the place I always got really good grades. And I suck at math and science. Like you can't believe. Just those were a nightmare for me. I mean, I'd get them eventually, but it was so much work. Whereas if I read a play or I watch a movie, it seemed... Every single thing about it seems to stick. So yeah, I definitely always wanted to be a writer. And you know, I think my career is really interesting in that I got out of the gate with a lot of excitement because I, I went to the you know, fancy pants grad school at Yale. 
And then I got right out and I got a play directed in New York and Ethan Hawke directed it. And it, it, Steve Zahn, great actor, was in the play. And then I went to Chicago and I had some success. I became playwright in residence at Steppenwolf. And then I went out to LA and I did like 10 years in LA. And to be honest, I would call my career as kind of, a, I was kind of a journeyman TV writer. And I realized I didn't think I had the tools that I needed to, and I'm being super open and honest with you about this. I mean, I, I think I could spin my career to make it look better than it was. But the truth is, it was a lot of writing, you know, had some great success being on some, some cool TV shows. Last show I worked on was run by Marta Kaufman, who was co-creator of Friends and had some amazing writers on that staff. But I didn't have, something was missing from like my game. And it's all the stuff you don't really learn in, in school, like things about managing your stress and managing conflicts and, and just knowing who you are and what you want to write because you have, you're dealing with agents, managers, lawyers, showrunners, actors, and the stress is, is really, really high. So for me, I had to take a long break. I just had to walk away. And I, I left LA with my family. My daughter was then 12. And to be honest, we didn't really want to raise her in LA. So we came back to Chicago and I got completely out of writing. I took a job running a marketing for an agricultural risk management company. And I spent basically five years traveling the heartland, talking to hog farmers and it was a real amazing journey for a Jewish kid from Brooklyn who thought he was going to be like a Neil Simon kind of guy. And there I am with, you know, gun-toting, hard, right-leaning, red state guys and working with them to make videos about them. And what happened was with my book, and I hope I'm not rambling too much, but what happened with my book was I had this moment that sounds really corny, but it was really true and really important where I realized I was making really decent money and I never had steady money in my life. And every week, you know, this woman would walk by my desk and throw a decent paycheck on my desk. And I was like, this is incredible. Like, you know, so many times in LA, you know, you work six months, you don't work six months, you work three months, you don't work for a year. So anyway, what happened with me was I had that moment where I realized, oh my God, I really don't need to write. And you learn quickly that no one is sitting around waiting for you to write. You know, there's plenty of writing. There's a billion trillion scripts out there and books and novels and graphic novels and all that stuff. But what I did that I thought was cool is I said, now that I quit being a writer, I think I could become a writer because I got rid of all the thoughts of fame and fortune and being a big shot and all kinds of ego things. And I just decided, you know, I really want to keep a journal to decide what being a great writer really requires. And I just started writing down principles. And it was very, very influenced by martial arts. I took Chinese Kenpo, which is a cool martial art. And it I'm not saying I'm like Bruce Lee, but it became a really, really important part of my life. And I love the way martial arts is taught because there's a reason it's been around 5,000 years. And that reason is it's so gradual. Like you almost take pride in knowing where you are, even if you're a, a beginner, you know, you put on a white belt, you're pretty much telling the whole world, I don't know what I'm doing. And you learn like four simple moves, you know, like two blocks and two strikes. And I thought that was just such a genius. So I wanted my book of principles to work like that. 
where you could isolate the principle, learn how it works, get better at it, and move on to the next one, and, and also to drill it. So when I kept my book of principles, and I had no, no delusions of grandeur, none of the... I'm one of those like Ralph Cramden kind of guys who'll start yakking about what a big shot I'm going to be when things are going well for me. But this was a completely different experience. And I really believe, not to sound like a kook, but the, the universe does seem to reward a certain kind of authenticity. And it seems sometimes to know when you're being an egomaniac. So what happened is I sent my, my I called an agent who represented a friend of mine who wrote a successful book. And I told her about my book and she just loved it right away. And all of a sudden I had a big agent again and she sold the book. So that's been my journey. And now where we're at is after spending four years, spending countless hours researching these principles, now I want to start being a writer again. And it's funny because we talk about my writing studio, which is where I am right now, but I'm, I'm torn up because I'm about to start writing my own new, I'm in the middle of a screenplay and two plays that I see as kind of a trilogy, but based very much on the principles I learned. So I might've rambled a bit there, but that's kind of the overview of my career and where I'm at. I was kind of both a, an early bloomer who got a lot of attention when I was very young. And now I'm 53 and I feel like I'm now I'm ready to restart my whole career after what was basically a, I'd say at least a decade long break, if you don't count the book as part of you know, my creative writing. So that's where I'm at right now. That was my journey as a writer. And sorry to ramble, but I, the big thing I hope I want to communicate to your listeners, especially if you have young writers, is you really do have to get, your, get yourself together and you have to know who you are. You have to be in the right city. You have to know what's important to you and you have to move from there. And unfortunately, it took me like 10 years to get all that crap straightened out, but I think I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll now. So that's, that's, that was my journey as a writer. Love that. We always frame our episodes around themes. Sometimes we talk to writers about the process of writing their books. In your case, you have a book that's about the principles of writing. So I would love to talk about the content of that book. Does that work for you? Absolutely. Awesome. If you don't mind me doing my worst, I'm going to read the description and some reviews of the book. Sure. 27 Essential Principles of Story. Open your notebook, take out your pen, and welcome a bold new approach to teaching the art of great storytelling. In 27 lessons drawn from 27 critical moments at the heart of 27 diverse narratives, from plays, novels, movies, television, and even songs and video games, Daniel Joshua Rubin unlocks the secrets of what makes a story work and then teaches us how to understand and use each principle in our own storytelling. Rubin, an incisive and no BS teacher, writing consultant, and founder of the Story 27 Studio, expands our understanding of narrative by drilling into examples ranging from Hamlet the Godfather parts one and two, from Harry Potter to an episode of South Park, and unearthing exactly what makes each scene tick. The result is a collection of priceless advice. Escalate risk with an example from Pulp Fiction. Write characters to the top of their intelligence from the Eminem song Stan. Explore all endings from HBO's The Night Of. Attack your theme from the Brothers Karamazov. Peel the onion from Jhumpa Lahiri's Interpreter of Maladies. Clash expectation with reality from Breaking Bad. After each principle comes a lesson in how to do it, plus a mini final exam and related principles from other sources. 
Ruben's writing is the writing we all aspire to, insightful, encouraging, filled with attitude. The examples are relatable, contemporary, and fresh for writers, storytellers, filmmakers, video game designers, podcasters, writing teachers, and anyone interested in how story works. It's a guide that turns the traditional writing manual on its head, drawing from a world of diverse voices and sources and media. In other words, from where contemporary storytellers find their inspiration. That is the description, and I have a few quotes as well. The New Bible of Lessons and Practices for Creators, that's from Library Journal, a godsend for storytellers in all media. It will help you decide what to write and then show you step-by-step how to tackle virtually any problem you face. That's from Anna D. Shapiro, Tony Award-winning director, uh, August Osage County. And then there are multiple more reviews from... Tracy Letts, Pulitzer Prize, and Pony Award-winning playwright, Publishers Weekly. The list goes on and on. Paul J. Mati. People are saying great things about this book. So how do you feel now that the book, with all of these great reviews, how do you feel about hearing those things? And how are you feeling about the book itself? To be honest, I, I feel amazing about it. I, it's been really, really humbling. It's being uh, translated into Chinese, into I just saw the book cover recently for the Korean version. I think it's going to Russia. I get emails all the time lately from writers, but what's been really surprising is how many of them are veteran writers and veteran producers who are always looking to learn more about the craft. It's really, really humbling. I've gotten some amazing emails from people who tell me that you know a principal helped them fix a story they were working on. And some of these are really noted writers. I have a friend who had like seven movies produced and he was working on a new screenplay and he couldn't get through the middle. And one of my principals called Max Out the Middle just really helped him create a scene that helped move his story through the middle. So it's very, very gratifying. And to be honest, you know, you know, you've probably heard of imposter syndrome. You know, everybody feels on some level like they're a phony. And it's funny. I once heard that the great actor, Anthony Hopkins, when he runs into someone he once, I think, ran into Liam Neeson, who said, Anthony, how you doing? And he said, I haven't been found out yet. And you know, this fear that you, you're full of crap is a, is a big thing. So I feel like, to be honest, I, I did the work. You know, like I worked so hard in this book. I mean, it was at least four long years. And I, I watched so many movies, so many TV shows. I read so many graphic novels and comic books. I listened to every song I could find that had a narrative to it. I, you know, watched presidential elections. I studied religion to see how narrative works in there. And to be honest, it's been an amazing, amazing experience. Like right now, story is almost becoming a bit of a cliche. It's everywhere. You hear people talking about the narrative of the stock markets. You hear narrative, narrative, narrative everywhere. And for me, what I feel the best about is... I, I really did the work. Like I can't, it's just, I can't even pretend I didn't. And when you work as hard as I did for as long as I did, you're probably going to do something good. And I, I was blessed by having one of the greatest editors, a woman named Margot Herrera at Workman Publishing, who was just incredible. So I think the response is so good from so many different people that even though I can be a really insecure mofo, I can't even pretend it's not. And again, the reason I don't feel arrogant saying that is August Wilson, the great playwright, talked about this a lot, that he sees himself as the last link in a chain, you know, just by, by the time period you're in. I come after all the guys who wrote all these amazing books, you know, I don't know how to pronounce it, Lajos Egri, Robert McKee, of course, Brian McDonald, Ronald Truby. There's just so many great books about writing. 
But what I feel best about is that I did what I set out to do. And that was to let the great writing and the great writers do the talking. No one gives a flying shit. No one cares who I am. And I really, really made my peace with that. Like, I, I'm a fanatic fan of the old movie with Claude Rains, The Invisible Man. And I'm not in this book. The people who've written masterpieces belong in this book. You know, Shakespeare's up front. I think Eminem, I think the song Stan is one of the great characters ever written. There's a reason it's become like an archetypal, it's the name for any, you know, now you call someone who's a crazed fan or a super passionate fan a Stan. So I put these people first, you know, Juno Diaz, Jumba Lahiri, Samantha Schweblin, who wrote an incredible book called Fever Dream. So I, I feel thrilled that I did what I set out to do, which was one, lay out the principles in isolation so you could fully engage with them, drill them, master them, and really get them in your DNA. And another thing I'm really proud of is the tone is very... It's like anti-formula. Writers above all want to be free. Like when you're writing, you are God of your universe. You can kill people. You could end the world. You, you decide fates. You, you, I think every writer I know, and I have studied writing as much as any person probably in the world, what writers love is being free. Don't tell us what to do. Don't, I think it's one of the reasons Netflix is so astronomically successful. They figured out that most writers would take a little less money for a lot more creative control. And so anyway, so process-wise, and it's all about the reader. The book is relentlessly focused on you, you the reader. When you read that book, it's meant to inspire you to think about who you are, and it's always closely tied. This is an important thing for me in the way I teach. You need to know who you are, what your defining experiences are, I just heard the term seminal moments, but you know, we've all had tragedies or shocking moments or radical life changes or great victories and horrifying defeats. And in my studies, I find there's simply no doubt about it. The great writers, what they have more than other people have is the ability to hang in the pocket and address the things that have shaped them and fearlessly confront them. So. I think I did a good job with that. I really like how much it talks to you, the reader, and hopefully gets you to think about these big things. And the reason I think that's so important is we are drowning in rankings and external validation and grades. From the time you're a kid, you get graded all the time and ranked and put on tracks. And now you post a post on social media and maybe nobody likes it. It literally goes utterly unloved and you, you're, you're almost trained. Now, obviously we all know about this now, but they're kind of training us like dogs to look for the next hit of adrenaline that comes from external validation. And I think what's, so, what's resonating with people about my book is it gets you out of that mindset and it gets you to focus on who you are, the genres you love to write in. And there's no absolutes and there's no threats and there's no, you better write it this way or you suck. There's enough creativity to give you a path from start to, I mean, enough guidance to give you a path from start to finish, but not so much that it stifles your creativity. And I think that's really important because I had a lot of teachers who kind of gave the vibe that if you didn't write it the way they told you to write it, it was not going to work. And I write with tremendous respect for experimental writers. You know, 
I love Beckett. I love Thornton Wilder. I love David Lynch. And I have tremendous respect for the fact that if you're a brilliant writer and you need a form to hold your unique kind of content, more power to you. But if you just want to write a really great story following the classic rules, they give you incredible structure and yet almost like paradoxically massive freedom. I think the principles free you up to dig deep into who you are. So anyway, so <laughs> I'm really happy with the book, to be honest. It's hard for me to say that because I, I feel like somehow I'm being an egomaniac or something, but I really do love the book. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. I would love to make the most of our time. Obviously, there are 27 principles. What would you say of the 27? What would be for the listeners who are kind of maybe want to just get a taste of the book? What are the two or three that you'd like to talk about? Sure. I'm a big fan of the Pareto principle that a few of the inputs make up for the bulk of the outputs. And I'd say, that, so I'd say there's a couple of principles in here that I think are, are really mission critical. And if you only had to do a couple of them, the first one I would say is there's a, a chapter called Ask Dramatic Questions. And all that means in its simplest form is that when you see a scene or when you read a chapter, the great writers will ask a question. And it's as simple as what's going to happen. You know, how are they going to hook your interest and hold it to the end of the scene or the sequence or the chapter or the, you know, or the whole story as a whole? And I think mastering dramatic questions is beyond valuable. So in the book, I show you step by step by step exactly how Finding Nemo works. I don't think I've ever met anyone who doesn't love that movie or greatly respect it. And it does such a beautiful job showing, you know, you have a father looking for his son. You have a son trying to escape and get back to his dad. You have external dramatic questions. You know, will they get to each other? You have internal dramatic questions, which is, will the father learn how to become a more loving father by allowing his son to risk his life? So a young writer or any writer who can learn how to master their questions and how they control an audience perception of the story 
and you know use misdirection and make them think one thing is going to happen and then bring it back another way that i would say is absolutely mission critical and again this is if you're a, a traditional writer who enjoys classic dramatic structure so that would be one this is funny it's a little bit like asking which child i love the best but another, <laughs> another one and i got this from matt stone and trey parker of south park and they wrote an episode that i honestly think is just one of the great episodes of television ever written and it's funny I don't see this one show up on a ton of like best of South Park lists, but for me, it's just the greatest it's called breast cancer show ever. And it's an episode where Cartman gets into a fight with Wendy and Wendy tells him she's going to kick his ass after school. And it's just a very simple story about Wendy trying to get Cartman to either apologize for his, his bad behavior or get his ass kicked. And Cartman fights as hard as he can not to get his ass kicked. But what Stone and Parker do, I think, so well is they, they, they have a principle called connect with therefore, not and. And so what that means is when you're constructing the outline of your story and you're thinking through the story, if you tell a story using and, connecting events with the word and, it's the way little kids talk. You know, so a little kid will say something like, you know, hey, hey, mom, I came home, you know, I went to school and then I did this and then I did that and then I did that. So if you say, you know, this happened and that happened, anything can happen. But if you use therefore, you know, so if you say like Joe punched Doug in the face, therefore Doug punched Joe back in his face, or therefore Doug burst into tears. What you do is you start building a, a chain. And I like to use the metaphor of thinking of like an electric wire. You know, the current flows through the wire. And if you use therefore, you accelerate the charge and you make it even bigger and you move toward an explosion. And what's so brilliant about the way like they use, I use um, Breast Cancer Show Ever as an example, is I feel that episode of South Park pushes Cartman to work harder and harder and harder. And in doing so, he reveals who he is, which is a hopelessly evil little human being. And no matter what you do to Cartman, if you kick his ass, if you use logic, if you hug and kiss him, no matter what you do, he is always going to be evil. He's always going to be narcissistic. He's always going to see things his way. And there's nothing you could do about it. The only thing you could do is maybe punch him in the face and at least feel good that you took your shot fighting him, but you're never going to make him a good guy. And that's a painful, difficult lesson that I think a lot of us as a nation are going through. I'm not going to drag us into politics, but I, most people could know who I'm talking about. But I think the bottom line is that using therefore instead of and is a great way to force you to penetrate into the truths of your characters and mine more depth from your themes. And it's a great way to force you as the writer to tax yourself because once you know you do this and then that character does that and you keep having it go back and forth, but you stay on the subject and you stay on the task at hand, you have to top yourself to get more creative, to, to do something bigger, scarier than you've ever done. And, and I think that's, it's, that's a fantastic principle. Another one that's just absolutely mission critical is in the section on character, I break down the song Stan. And again, I'm a, I, I love Eminem. Maybe I'm showing my age as an old guy, but like, the reason Stan is such a beloved song and it's such a thrilling character 
is, and, and if you read the book, you'll see I break down every single thing Stan does. He starts with a mission or an objective. His objective is to get in touch with his idol, Eminem, and to make Eminem notice him and to try to build a friendship with him. And when you look at all the things Eminem has Stan do, he makes him feel guilty. He makes, he rages at him. He begs him. He tells him that he's the greatest fan he'll ever have. And if he loses him, he'll be hurt. He tells him that his little brother loves him. And if, and if he doesn't connect with him, his little brother will be hurt. So when you look at that, he works so hard and ultimately he ends up committing a horrific murder to get Eminem's attention. And really it works. Like he really does connect with Eminem. So if you write your, there's nothing worse than reading a story or watching a movie where the character is, is stupid and still gets what they want just because the writer was lazy and wanted to give it to them. The great writers again and again and again, they make their characters work. I mean, you look at Breaking Bad, you look at Walter White, you look at The Sopranos, Tony Soprano. I'm finally watching The Wire right now. And that one, that's one of the best examples I've ever seen of that. Every single character, the lowest drug addict trying to steal something, the mayor, the, all the police lieutenants, the detectives, everyone is working as hard as they possibly can. And I think one of the things that causes procrastination among writers is a fear of looking stupid. And uh, I think there's a lot that goes in that, but that's a big one. And this principle forces you to do the work to always, always respect your audience. And uh, audiences get a lot of shit lately for, you know, liking bad stuff. But I think that's complete nonsense. Like, I think we're in a massive golden age of story in like so many different mediums. And there's so many websites discussing this stuff and podcasts. And you try to bullshit your audience, they will rip through your story like prosecutors and they will find the flaw. And so, so that one is a really great one. And just on a really quick personal story, I learned that principle from a writer named Alexa Young, who was kind of a mentor to me. If you're a Friends fan, you'll see her name. She was a, a co-exec on Friends for years. And I think a really important part of what made that show so great. And she once read one of my scripts and tore me to shreds. I'll never forget it. An Arts Deli in Ventura Boulevard, you know, I had my fancy MFA, but she was like, your character wouldn't do this. Don't buy it. This person is stupid. It makes me not care about them. And so anyway, I'm pretty passionate about that one. You got to outthink everybody as a writer or you're just wasting our time. It's, it's not going to get you to the top of the pile if you half-ass that. So I'd say those are three. I have more if you want me to do more, but those are three that I really, really like. You ask dramatic questions, you connect with therefore, and you write characters to the top of your intelligence or their intelligence. And just, just to clarify real quick, that's not saying your character has to be a genius. Your character can be an absolute moron. I think the guys in, in the movie Dumb and Dumber, they're trying their hardest. They're just not smart. So that's a really important point. You don't dumb it down. You but there are limits. And also our emotions can make us stupid. Like when I'm nervous or having anxiety, I might make some incredibly dumb decisions. And that, that dynamic of subtext and building the, the underpinnings of your character, they're trying to work at the top of their intelligence, but the stress might cause them to crack and make a terrible mistake. So those are three I really like a lot. You mentioned the top three, but what about, is there one those not included that maybe you think is the most neglected, maybe the one that people 
don't do them much, maybe the writers who are listening wouldn't think to do. Maybe the most common thing that people aren't doing that you found in your research. You know, it's funny. I, I spent a lot of time with young writers and I've spent a ton of time reading things. I have a principal, man, it's funny. I'm, I'm looking through the, the list. I'd say I'm going to cheat a little bit. There's a couple. One is Hunt Big Game. And there's a chapter in my book called Hunt Big Game, which means I think, and some writers will argue, you can just start writing. And if you start writing and you're authentic, you'll find what you need to write about. And I completely respect that. But for me, I don't mind writers having a little bit of conscious thought in what, what subjects passionately interest them, in looking at the stories they love, in like the genre, the kind of stories they love. And that I've never seen a writer, any writer, who didn't write from their most powerful experiences and, and explore the big ideas. So in my book, there's Toni Morrison writes about in Beloved, she writes about how slavery felt, which was an incredibly important thing to her, even though that's a more you know, institutional, societal-wide kind of thing. It might not sound personal. It was a very personal thing to her as the most noted African-American writer of her day. She felt she had to deal with that issue. And she had read an article about a woman named Margaret Garner, who was a slave who escaped to the North And then slave catchers, due to some horrible law, were allowed to come into Ohio to grab her and to protect her child from the slave catchers. She murdered the child, which just short-circuited Toni Morris's brain because, you know, a mother killing her own child is the worst thing humanly imaginable. But saying, you can't have my child and, and condemn them to a life of suffering, it's my child, moved her tremendously as a mother. So... You have to, in my opinion, go after the biggest thing in your life. Like Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow, Juno Diaz, he didn't talk about it till maybe over a decade later, but that novel, which I'm pretty sure won Pulitzer Prize, that novel is about what happened to his personality after he was raped as a child. He sort of split into two, an ugly, unlovable fat kid on one end and a super macho ladies man on the other. So. Again, it's not a coincidence that he wrote a masterpiece that took him 10 years because he went after the big game. So that, that one is really important. And I'll just quick, hopefully quick, tie that into another principle called provoke dilemma, which is you never, ever, ever want your characters to have easy choices. Those are not interesting to watch. You want to watch characters who have a terrible choice between either two things they desperately want, but they can only have one or having to make a choice that's going to hurt someone. And either way you do it, someone's going to be hurt. And how they move through that reveals who they are as a character. So those are two, I would say, I'm not sure a ton of people do. And sorry to ramble, but one more that's so important is called earn transformations. If your character moves from A to B, if they go from sad to happy or happy to sad, or single to married, you have to meticulously earn every microscopic step of that journey to make it believable. So those three are pretty huge. I do have a couple last questions before we go. The first one we always ask is, if you could take any writer to any restaurant, you sometimes ask fast food restaurants, people sometimes don't want to choose a fast food restaurant. So I'll give you a restaurant, any writer to any restaurant, which writer and which restaurant and why? You know, it's funny, without a doubt, my favorite playwright and writer is August Wilson. I think what he achieved 
is just so incredible and the amount of humor and and emotional intensity and how he captured the whole scope of the African-American experience for, for the whole 20th century to sit with him in a bar. And this one's a very personal one for me. I, to be honest, it could be any dive bar and I'd be in heaven with that guy. But it's a per- really personal one for me because he's one of the few people I ever got really starstruck from. I actually saw him outside the theater at my grad school and I followed him down the block and I was saying like nice things to him and he was really shy. And he really was like looking at me like, kid, I appreciate the love, but you're, you're kind of wigging me out. I need you to go away. And I, I often think like, man, I wish so much I, I figured out a way to hang and really talk to him about shop and talk about how he writes. And so that would be one. Without a doubt, that'd be my guy. Not even close. Love that. And my last question is, and we always ask this last, if you could choose one learning or insight from your entire career, to pass along to the writers who are listening, what is the one piece of advice you would give? If I could have one thing I'd tell writers without a doubt, it is, it's a couple of things. Know who you are, know your genre, know what you love to write, know what you need to explore, and fearlessly go after the, the writing that's most important and personal for you. And don't worry what anybody else thinks. Learn the craft, stick to it, and you decide when your writing is done and when it's good enough, and then trust that the, the world will do with it what it's going to do. You can't control that. Focus on what you can control, write with authenticity, and master your craft. Love that. And the last question is, did you have fun today, Daniel, I talking did, uh, to us I, oh, man, about writing? Did. I had a lot of fun. I could talk about I, I love it. I, I love talking about this stuff. I find it incredibly inspiring. And yeah, no, I love it. Love talking shop. Awesome. Well, you make my job easy because we always <laughs> talk to writers about their process and try to come up with those learnings. But you already have the learnings, which is amazing. I know we didn't get into all of them, but for those listening, 27 Essential Principles of the Story, Master the Secrets of Great Storytelling from Shakespeare to South Park is in stores now. Please check it out. If you were listening, intrigued, enticed, please pick up the book and find out what other secrets lie within that book. Thank you, Daniel, so much. Did you want to plug anything else? Maybe your website, social media, Twitter? Uh, sure. I enjoy Twitter. I'm at Dan Joshua Rubin. And I have a website, story27.com. And it's completely free. I have three-minute videos on every single chapter. And I'm so sorry, again, to sound too cocky, but you will get as much practical value from looking at that free website. You don't even have to buy my book to look at that website. And you will get an incredible education if you just watch all 27 videos. So yeah, that's the big one, story27.com. Love that. Did you want to plug any upcoming projects? I know you mentioned you had a couple. No, I mean, in all honesty, I'm just, I'm writing my own trilogy right now. I'm writing a screenplay and two plays with similar themes that deal with betrayal and replacement, sort of a, a fear of mine, coming home one day and finding out there's a bigger, better version of me and I'm out. So it's a little bit of sci-fi angle or something, but yeah, so I'm um, working on, I haven't been able to write creatively because of the book for years. So I'm, I'm all over those three and hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll, they'll go somewhere. Love that. We really appreciate your insights and your time. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thrilled to have been here and I wish you guys all the best going forward. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. 
You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>